0: Well, I started everything for this album 13 years ago, and so I recorded the actual recordings in 2015, and ever since then, have been building the visual elements for it, and it's been through lots of ups and downs.
1: That's Anastasia Elliott. She's back on the podcast to discuss her brand new album, La Petite Mort. I'm Jamie Green, and this is Trading Fours. everyone welcome back to the podcast i am your host jamie green super excited to have the uber talented anastasia elliott back on the podcast today is a record release party where we are going to go through her album la petite mort track by track so to really get the most out of this episode get on apple music or spotify or wherever you get your music in 2023 and and listen to her album while she and i discuss each track You're going to get a lot of insight about the album, which is my favorite album so far in 2023. Anastasia is an amazing singer, composer, musician. She makes amazing videos. She does it all. So let's celebrate this great album. Here is my conversation with Anastasia Elliott. Anastasia, thanks so much for coming back on Trading Force.
0: For having me
1: back so I, I just first and foremost congratulations this is great this is a really this is my favorite thing i've listened to in 2023 you know i get things sent to me constantly uh this is fabulous so congratulations that
0: means like, a lot thank
1: you so much so the first thing is i i saw something you posted that it was a you 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 said it's akin to uh giving birth to a 13 year old uh
0: mm-hmm.
1: so so tell me why is that
0: um Well, I started everything for this album 13 years ago, and so I recorded the actual recordings in 2015 and ever since then have been building the visual elements for it and it's been through lots of uh, ups and downs, but it's finally here and it, it definitely feels like giving birth to a 13 year old where I'm like, there's no roadmap for someone that's held a record this long and like what to do with it. And like, feels like having something that has like grown with me in secret, but it's new to everybody else. And so it's like the like identity pain too of letting go of something that's been so much me for the past over a decade of my life and like trusting and just letting go and trusting it to just walk and do its own thing in the world. It's like the best metaphor I could possibly have come up with.
1: Well, that's great. I, uh, so it's La petite, La petite Mort. I could almost La get petite? it out. Uh, any dopes ask you who Mort is yet? And has anybody like not got the, it's in French yet?
0: <laughs> no. no, but he did, did say, does it stand for the little mortician? And I was like, that's funny.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's funny.
0: So let's just uh, let's just
1: go down the tracks. So I, I saw yep. you wanted to, people to listen to this sequentially, right? That's part of what you want. So yeah. people who are watching us live on Facebook, if you got Spotify or Apple Music, go ahead and play the music while we're talking about it. So it's kind of gets you into the mood. So, so cigarettes and gasoline. I heard this a couple years ago. When did this first come out? Because it's got a cool video to it too. When did you first release this? Twenty
0: eighteen, end of twenty eighteen, I think. It was the first single to come out.
1: So people always want to know about the creative process and how this comes about. So talk a little bit about the song and and how you developed the song and and what you were thinking in the process of it.
0: This song actually was not originally on the album. I added it afterwards and then put it first because it didn't feel complete without it. uh, Because I actually named the album after a lyric in the bridge of this song. And then... It didn't make the cut. And when I left the label, I was like, well, I'm going to finish this song and put it as like the prologue to the series. And it was just one that, I don't know, kind of just came together real easy and felt like it kind of set the stage for the rest of the album and had the album's title in it. So it got to start everything off the
1: line is you and me were cigarettes and gasoline we played with fire and scorched what we could have been so is it a little bit of regret about a relationship is it that concrete yeah, is it nebulous
0: it's definitely about the toxic relationship that i was in during the whole 8 years but the whole process of making this project i was writing about things that were going on in my life and I think it's, it's definitely about being with somebody who's like an equal force to you, but you just are not going together well for positive, no positivity there. So right. it's, uh, but knowing that you, you could be like, it's it kind of the frustration of knowing that like you could be something great, but you're just not. So this was definitely about the relationship that I had trauma bonded to after the plane crash.
1: Okay, we're going to get to that. But um, what's well, interesting. So yeah, number two, we talked about this last time, the song crash landing, I think you said you kind of manifested it, you you wrote a song crash landing, and later you had a crash landing. Um, mm-hmm. Like the video too. So why did you write a song before you had the crash, Anastasia?
0: I don't know. I don't know. I just, I just wrote this song, like when I'm writing music. I'm not the type of writer that goes in and I'm like, this is what I want to write about. Like this is going on in my life. So let's write a song about it. I'm way more of a like in flow state kind of creator and writer. And so sometimes I don't always know what I'm writing about or what I'm creating until like after the fact. And sometimes a while after the fact that I'll look back and be like, oh this was happening in my life. It makes sense why I made this. But for Crash Landing and a lot of these I was just making sounds and tracks and melodies and then feeling what they felt like emotionally to me. And I remember writing Crash Landing and having that chromatic walk down that happens at the end of each chorus and just like feeling what it felt like to me. And it just became Crash Landing. And we kind of finished the song and we're like, we don't know what this is or why we wrote it. It's kind of a weird song. And then I was in the plane crash three months later On my way to finish recording the demo and it just gave that song like so much more meaning so sometimes for me the art can come before things happen in my life and it's almost like i have tapped into something that i can't always explain but then after the fact i'm like oh like that makes sense or like this song has new meaning to me and and especially with this album being with me for as many years as it has, all of the songs have gained a lot more meaning as I've gone through more things in life and related them to this album. So
1: did you think about the song as it was happening? Was there a little bit of like, oh, my God, this is actually happening after I wrote this song? I mean, did that pop in your head at all? Or are you just too terrified to think about it?
0: I think it probably wasn't until the next day that I thought about that. (laughs) Too much other stuff, I think, that I was thinking about. But definitely, um the next day I was like, "Holy shit, that's crazy that this happened!"
1: Right. All right. And one I of my
0: pick- I anymore. I you should don't. never write anything about an act.
1: You got to write a song about winning <laughs> the lottery or something, right? You got to um, have.
0: It. Will be pleased to find out that that is on the next EP. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so London's- We are working on that. Oh, good. I know. I saw you recording. um So London's a cool track. It's one of my favorite tracks. Um. I like the video a lot, too. I don't know. How did you have what's the technology where you can have the Tower of London and London or a Tower Bridge and all that stuff just disappear in the background? What What did you use for that?
0: Um, that was one of the only uh, digital 3D renderings, or CGI that we had in any of the videos.
1: That's cool. Um, and the guy who's the guy? Who's the, who's the stud in the video?
0: Um, his name is Lincoln. He was a, he was a beautiful specimen. Yeah, he um, was. <laughs> I didn't address the videos for the other two, but Crash Landing, uh, the music video, to go back for a second, that one is completely one-take video, and I wanted to start and end the series one-take videos, so Good also is going to have a one-take video, but Crash Landing's video was like, really difficult to film because I'm actually doing a lot of things behind the scenes that you can't see. Like when I put my visor down on my space helmet, I had to reach under my seat and turn on a hairdryer that was connected to the hose of the helmet that would give it air so that it didn't fog up as I was like, singing and talking and like there were so many things i was like triggering in the set that like i had to get right in one pass and that video took it was like a few hours of like doing the same take until all of our movements were coordinated and everything was like perfect making that spaceship was wild like some of the control panels especially like in the back we used random things like red robin food to go containers and painted them to make different control panels and like that was a very fun video to make. You're like uh, MacGyver. Um, London, <laughs> yeah. London was definitely one of the most intense videos we made because the, especially the set at the end, the space pause scene, we can't all of that. the set build, I think the set build is on my YouTube, the time lapse of building that set. If it's not, it should be soon. Um, yeah, because you start um, out and you're
1: yeah. kind of in, in Victorian garb right Mm -hmm. and then you're I, i think the line is the king and the queen and you're in like i don't know what is what's this white outfit you have on i don't even know how to describe this and then you're like in a hermetically sealed pod at the end like this this is a lot of how many hours just to make the video
0: a lot crash landing london masquerade and bones over the course of three months and it was three months of building sets and making costumes and Um, I think London had three shoot days, one for each scene, Um, but the building process was months leading up to that, (laughs) and uh, yeah, that one was really, really fun to make. The costumes were some of my favorites we've done so far, but that song is about uh, sometimes after catastrophic experiences or traumatic events, like it can be difficult to connect the same to people in your life. And that one is, is kind of about that and star-crossed feelings.
1: No, it's a, it's a, it's a great tip. And I I will put, you know, this obviously we're talking live, but for, for the podcast, I'll put all the links so you can watch this and see what we're talking. Um, it's a lot of sausage making, making a video, right? I mean, to make it the final product looks great, but there's a lot of like work. And like you said, like tricks. Uh, to mm-hmm. make it work, and and you're doing this with. I know we talked last time with family and friends stuff like uh, you don't have an enormous budget, so you've got to be on your toes and like, you know, move and, and so be much to... work.
0: <laughs> There's so much work. Nobody realizes just how much work goes into these. I'm I'm hoping with the ones I'm about to shoot that I can be better at bringing everybody along on the journey.
1: There's only so many hours in the day, though there I mean,
0: are and believe me I'm feeling the crunch.
1: <laughs> yeah, but so yeah, uh I, we've got 13 songs so we're going to just move on uh, masquerade. This this is one of the bigger rocker ones. I like I like the Greek chorus part of this song. Um thank you. So th- it's almost like it almost feels like a Broadway tune in a way.
0: Yeah. Yeah, this one I wanted to do a bigger video for this one but it wound up getting the smallest of the four um but i still do really like it i wanted to kind of flip the story of Sid and Nancy on its head and and then i have the airplane seats at the end london too in the space pod scene the door in the space pod area is the same door that's in my cockpit for crash landing so there's like one easter egg through line but Masquerade is a really fun song. It's um it's kind of about the way people hide themselves. I think after my plane crash I was starting to realize like just how much of an emotionally unintelligent culture and society and family I came from and how much I hid from myself and how much like I just wanted everybody to stop doing that and like take their masks off and like be more authentic and be real and it wasn't until after the plane crash that I really felt like I started to figure out who I was beyond the facade I had created. So that's what that song is about. That's
1: great. So uh, the fifth track is Bones, which we talked about last time because you got the video and I know you reused the piano. Um, yes. That's a, that's another rock. I'm a guitar player, so I, I like Bones because there's a lot of guitar in it. Uh, tell me a little bit about writing Bones, like what, what, what made you want to write this to
0: Bones, I will say was the hardest song to write on the entire album because the writers I was working with didn't like the ideas. And I was so certain that this song was what it needed to be. And so it was just like two days of fighting in the studio because I refused to bend to have it be anything other than what I wanted. But like, it, it was a tough one. Like some songs really just like come out easy and like want to be in the world and others can sometimes just be like so hard to pull down, but sometimes those are the best ones. So I stuck through with this one, but the first thing I wrote for Bones was the drum fill before the chorus. That was what started Bones. I sat down at the electric drum kit and I just made that drum fill. <laughs>
1: So you. Uh, so I looked at your credits, and I, I apologize. I'm not going to remember all these people's names, but it, it seems like most of these songs you're writing with three or four guys. Is that fair?
0: Um, depends. Um, usually I had one or two, one or two co-writers, and then my co-producer also got credit on the songs for production, but he got some writers' publishing. So usually it was three-way rights.
1: So when you write something with, in, a, in a group, um, that's another dynamic, correct? Like you've got to like, who does what? Like I, I assume you, as we just said with Bones, you get the final cut for lack of a better, like you decide whether it's a no, a go or no go. Uh, are there certain things that these guys bring into the room that you really appreciate? Like what, what makes you want to collaborate with these folks?
0: Yeah, my collaboration process for record one was very different than my current collaboration process. I am incredibly picky now about who I work with and how we work. But for the first record, I was I mean, I wrote 200 songs for this album, and I was writing with all kinds of cool people. But when I co write, I typically do all the melodies and most of the music depending on the session it really just depends what different writers bring to the table um i really love working with people who are fantastic at poetry and lyrics because i love writing lyrics but i'm a little bit i have a lot of thoughts and it's hard for me sometimes to streamline things so i love having somebody that's like a sounding board that i can like throw a lot at or they can throw stuff at me and we can kind of like piece through the word puzzle together. So this first record, I was really like, I think learning how to write with a lot of these amazing writers and like learning the art collaboration. And now nobody writes me that touches the melody, like are all 100% my melodies. I'm a lot more picky about the types of lyricists I like to work with. And I really only have two co-writers that I currently work with, um, but, this first album was a lot more exploration to see who I like to work with. And I just, I love collaborating. I'm not somebody that really likes working by myself in a vacuum. I, um, even now, like I'll start ideas sometimes and get them like halfway there and then I'll take them to my drum or my band and, develop them further. Like I love the art of collaborating. I think every writer brings different strengths to the table. And I know my weaknesses and my strengths. So I surround myself with writers that are strong where I'm weak and where they don't try to touch my strengths. And that that's how I found is best for collaborating.
1: Yeah, lyrics are tricky, aren't they? Cause it's it's a totally different thing than just, you know, writing prose, right? Like you've got to be concise it's really easy to let it kind of run away from you and have too much. So being able to get that point across, but concisely, um, that's tough. I think a lot of people stumble with that. Would you say that's fair? It's hard?
0: Yeah, I I definitely think it's tough. Um, I really care that lyrics are very poetic and that they can be read for different interpretations. Pretty high standards when it comes to lyrics, but they're not my strength.
1: Who do you like as a lyricist before we move on? Like who, who are your favorite lyricists?
0: That I work with or to listen Anybody. to. Anybody.
1: Who, who's like somebody like famous, you grew up and you're like, God, they write great lyrics.
0: I couldn't tell you because I don't listen to lyrics very much like I I am a melody. I'm a melody person through and through. It's important to me in my own music that my lyrics matter, but in a song that I'm just into, I can know all the words to a song and sing along with a song and still not tell you what it's about. Like I just it's just not something that's that important to me as a listener. But I mean, I will say like I love um I love Radiohead and I love Tom York's lyrics and I I'm a huge Radiohead fan. Um Kate Bush I think is fantastic. She always did very cool theatrical things. I mean, David Bowie and Queen, I mean, those are kind of the only people I like, I really listen to. So.
1: Yeah. It's so funny. <laughs> but
0: that, I, mean, I, I just, lyrics are definitely not the first second or third thing that I listen to in a song.
1: <laughs> so you're making me really happy because, and, and you know, I've been married for 25 years and my wife is all about the lyric. She's, she doesn't play an instrument. She doesn't, she's not into that at all. And she'll be so annoyed with me because I'll be like, I didn't even know what the lyric was because I'm listening to the chord changes yeah. and yeah. the melody, and I'll. That's what. So you're making, you're validating me, Anastasia. You're making me feel yeah. good about. It. We are kindred spirits, apparently, musically.
0: Absolutely, I think so. But that's exactly true. And I think sometimes people don't think they're great writers, or like there's something, like you know, maybe they are more music heavy like that, and like the words are not the most important thing to them or the thing that they connect to the most and so that's why I think co-writing is so special because the lyricists that I know and I love to work with I don't think melody is their strength so it's really I think that's where the beauty of collaboration can really elevate art
1: absolutely everything in life mm-hmm. right takes a village all right say la vie I, I, love, I love the I love the piano intro uh, I love the sample drums and how that kind of plays off each other uh, the strings in here, the use of dynamics, uh, all of it. So, uh, let's, let's, let's break it down. So I assume you're playing piano yeah. on this, who, who, who's the drummer? And, and when did you decide that you're going to use like sampled sounds and not just a regular drum kit?
0: There's no samples.
1: What? So what is it? It's is, Cause it's got a huge echo on it. It
0: does, uh, this record is hundred percent analog. There's nothing programmed in it. Um, which was quite a feat. <laughs> but um we made a lot of interesting drum sounds with this song in particular. I remember I have all the studio videos I'm actually going through right now to make uh, content out of cuz I filmed the entire recording of all 17 days. Um but that one we had a bunch of like weird pieces of gear that we ran the drums through and like we made drums out of things that were not drums my co-producer was also a drummer first and foremost so the drums on this record were definitely his baby but uh miles mcpherson was the drummer on this project and he's he's fantastic
1: well he, so he tricked me the drum
0: sounds really good. yeah the mixing and uh running the drum sounds through different pieces of analog gear
1: i had you're like boston i had no idea you totally fooled me <laughs> The strings, so let's talk about the string arrangement. Who did you bring in, and how many people are playing on it?
0: Um, for this one, we had there was a quartet that we had play on a couple songs, and I think they were on this one. We had a giant vibraphone that we played on this one. Um, that was really fun. Another cool instrument on this record, uh, London. We brought in a harpsichord. Chord from the 1800s that I played on that one. That's what the kind of sound is at the beginning. Um, but yeah, Say Levy had the vibraphone. I feel like that was the most special instrument that was on Say Levy.
1: That's great. So can you tell that I actually listened to this album?
0: I did my homework. <laughs> I'm so proud. I'm so happy. <laughs> so happy. Right, so,
1: so so the title track to the album, this is an instrumental. Um, it's very different than everything else. So what made you decide? This to be the title track, to be an instrumental. Um, it's it's not what I was expecting when I when it rolled into my ears.
0: Yeah. Um Well, with "Say La Vie" being kind of funner and a little bit more, I think about kind of the maybe sometimes false positive times that we have when we're healing and we kind of get those moments of like, yes, I'm really like on top of things and then you kind of have another uh, slump. I wanted the title track to be something very dark, especially with the concept uh, of the title of the album being La Petite Mort," which means the little death, the brief loss of consciousness, or orgasm. It's kind of the orgasm of the record to me, um, and the space where I didn't want it to be lyric or melody-focused, and I wanted it to more be like kind of a feeling of lost lostness and um of death and transformation and it kind of takes you into the darker part of the album and when we made this it's actually parts of in the dark that have been chopped and screwed and played with so it wasn't it didn't come to fruition until after we had made in the dark
1: okay Very cool so that's the next track is in the dark I I love the open and the piano. Uh, Can can we talk a little bit about your intervals, so when I hear this so when I hear this song, the first time and I i'm I'm sorry i'm going to nerd out. Um, you're singing the in the dark part you're going from an F to a C. And then you're going from an F up to an E flat and that's not where I thought you would be going that's not what I from an ear standpoint that's not where you think it's going to go so. I assume you thought about this. Um, what made you decide that as far as your intervals for the course?
0: I'll have to send you the demo for this song because you will be like, what in the world? This <laughs> song I actually wrote as a dance song. It sounds so different than this. And it kind of, it's a lot more um, major in its chords and it, the chorus was actually like my voice that way we sampled and played I didn't sing it like I did on the record and I loved it though but it wasn't right and it didn't fit and sonically and then when we kind of stripped away all the music and we were like kind of knew sonically what we wanted to go for with it we wound up writing these chords with weird intervals but it was a very different different track before and i if i hadn't written it as a dance song and then put the weird chords on top i don't i don't know that i would have ever written that first so it kind of happened on the back end
1: That's great. You know you know the story about the New York New York song, don't you? From the the musical and all that? Yeah. Um so uh, the one writers the candor guy, I'm going to two Broadway guys, they they're writing they write New York New York. They ha- it's a movie, so they have this meeting with all these folks and Robert De Niro's there. And he said, hey, can I say something? And, and, you know, the people, the two, you know, this is what they do all day long is they're musicians. And Robert De Niro goes like, I, I just don't think this is the right song. I don't think. It. And I initially they were pissed and they were like, this is terrible. But they went back and it's like, maybe he has a point. And so they rewrote New York, New York. Like we know it today, which is a huge pit, but you can listen to the demo. It's on YouTube and it's very different. Yeah.
0: Oh my gosh, I'm going to have to listen to that.
1: Yeah. So sometimes just like, it doesn't work the first time. There's nothing wrong with saying, hey, let's make some changes.
0: Absolutely. Masquerade and In the Dark, actually, I wrote around the same time period. And both of them were written as dance songs. And then we redid them. But that's why they have Masquerade has a more dancey feel. And then we made it rock. And In the Dark, though, I forgot. I kind of forgot about that. I need to dig up the demo and make make a video about that. No, I want to hear it. Yeah. All right.
1: I'm in Kansas City. I am I am missing the, the Chiefs game versus the Lions right now. I know Lions Den, you did a whole, like, hey, you should make this your, like, kind of fight song for the... Uh, this is, like, the most rock anthem, I guess, for lack of a better terminology, on this uh, album. Um, talk, talk to me a little bit about it.
0: This song, um, after In the Dark, where it's a little bit more about coming to terms with parts of yourself that you're hiding and like kind of wanting to see more i think lion's den kind of goes into how i struggled a lot with um connecting with anger after my plane crash and like wanting to feel angry um i am hopefully gonna have an edit finished of it tonight after this i'll be hopefully finishing my first pass but that video and then i will be editing Say Levy and in the dark. So all those videos are coming soon.
1: That's great. Okay, okay. I'm really intrigued now because the next tune is Crimson and Violet, and these drums. These drums sound like there's an explosion going off. So I, I'm dying to know how you did it in an analog fashion since you didn't sample anything. So how'd you make that sound?
0: We made our own samples with guns at the range.
1: So those are real guns. Mm-hmm. You do live in Tennessee. Real guns. <laughs>
0: i'm a texas through and through so <laughs> oh, that's right can't go um, anywhere without yeah. a gun in texas they <laughs> are real samples that we made and we also used uh, different like war chants and stuff that we had sampled underneath them um but yeah they were they're real gunshots and we mixed those with the drums <laughs>
1: So your vocals on this, I don't know what you're singing through or how you're making your voice sound very differently, but what, what are you doing for that effect? Uh,
0: this one was actually three microphones that were put together. Um, I think there was a copper phone. There was a mic that was very large that was from the 40s or 50s. And then um, the U47 or 48, That w- they were all three together. So that they, in the mix, they end up balancing them to kind of have different tones at different parts of the song.
1: What, so I, I'm I, I'm curious, you probably hear something in your head, I'm guessing, and then you're like, how do we execute that, right? Like you want, you like, I want my vocals to be different than this. And how do you actually in the studio make it happen? Is that kind of the process? And you play with it?
0: Yeah, it's usually, um... Well, both my last producer and my drummer who's producing new music with me, we say that hallucination together is a huge part of the creative process. Like we'll sit there and listen to the demo and just like kind of paint sonic pictures with each other in our minds. And And it kind of feels like when somebody says something, it gets like added to the mind track. And so we'll spend hours and whole evenings just sitting there talking about sonically what we want to achieve to convey everything that we're trying to convey. Crimson and Violet is actually one of my favorite songs on the album. And it's special to me because it is the only song on the album that I wrote 100% of lyric and melody and music and everything by myself. So So it's your baby. That song is my baby. And it was a, a rare occasion where like the lyrics just like, Float out of me, and I think it's arguably the most poetic song on the album if you really dissect the lyrics. And so that one is a special one to me, and I I had to fight to get that on the record, but I was like, "It's going to be on there. I I will not take no for an answer. That is my song."
1: Oh, I dig it. Uh, all right, so the next song's my favorite, which is interesting because that was one of those things. I I know you asked everybody what's your favorite song, and I, I respond. All right. Um, I love that you credited Irving Berlin. I, mm-hmm. I love that the, the quote is actually the taco version of putting on the Ritz. Yeah. I'm dying to know, when did you decide writing the song that, hey, putting on the Ritz fits in here perfectly? Like, let's talk about Bleach.
0: Before we ever wrote it. The, really? um <laughs> Yep. The vision was to make a song using that part of the taco song and so it was kind of the initial inspiration for the song and yeah that was one of the first songs I actually wound up writing for this whole project and I see it as kind of the well Crimson and Violet is about yourself and killing off the toxic parts of yourself and Bleach to me is like the cleanup of the album of all the like the bloody shitty traumatic stuff that's happened in it it's kind of the fuck you to all of it and the self-realization and like becoming grounded in yourself and um, confident in how you're going to move forward and uh, this was a it was a very fun one to write
1: it's I think one of the
0: funnest songs record and i love that irving berlin gets to be a (laughs) co-writer
1: yeah you know it's funny because i was like you know because that song the taco version probably came out when i was like in 10th grade Mm -hmm. i'm kind of shocked that you and i'm going to sound like an old fart but you young kids know this song know this version of this song
0: yeah i don't i mean it was so long ago i honestly don't remember how it initially came up but we had been talking about the idea to do a song with that for like a long time and then we just finally did it
1: (laughs) who's who's the person who's the guy yelling yeah after the first time of the the quote
0: do you know Um, that's gotta be josh my co-producer it's either him. yeah it's josh it's josh my co-producer
1: okay and the and the lyric video that you just put out but apparently you shot this like 10 years ago
0: yeah it was the first video i ever um made it's it's the i made it to the pop version of bleach which also bleach masquerade and in the dark kind of all were written around the same time and they were a lot more pop and i made that video to that version of the song and then but the tempo never changed so i was able to put the new version over it um but that was one of the first that was the first video i ever made and i hand scanned in each of those damn magazine letters and it was the most tedious thing i had ever done and I thought the effect where there were two of me was like so cool. And now I know that that is like a very easy thing to do now that I am a video director and I do a lot crazier shit than that. But at the time, like that was so cool to me. And it was really fun to find that on my hard drive this past week and be like, I'm going to put this out as the lyric video. And I'm preparing right now to shoot the real music video for it in the next couple of weeks. And I'm so excited about that video.
1: That's great. That's so much fun. Um... If and when I like the kind of the choir in the background, love the descending chromatic part uh, in the in the in the chorus where it almost feels like you're falling. Um, Let's talk about that.
0: I love this is one of my this is um, I don't play this song live and we kind of have saved some of the last songs on the record to not play in our shows until the record was out so that there was new stuff for us to add and so I hadn't heard it in a while and listening through the album lately as it's coming out it's the one I'm having the most fun listening to because there are so many layers of ear candy in this track like um, the sounds of like developing cameras and like weird like when you strip the vocals out of this it's very much we approached it like a sound design more like film cinematic piece and there's a lot that was I struggled with when mixing, where I was like, you're not going to hear this layer because the vocal is covering it up, but like it still adds feeling. Um, the chromatic line in that is one of my favorite melodies in the whole record. And it's kind of a joke amongst my band and people that work with me that. I'm a whore for chromatics. And if we're ever stuck on anything with songwriting to just give me chromatics, because it makes me so happy. The like classical part of me just loves chromatics. And yeah.
1: it's really uh, big in classical and it's really the bebop scale in jazz. That's a chromatic yeah. scale. love
0: it. And the end of If and When that goes into kind of the very weird. Yeah, um, it does.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask you about that
0: when I turned that into uh, my ex-label I was pretty sure they were gonna say no chop that off I was like so happy that they liked it um I I guess the way that I made that I was um I'm actually playing at the theremin synth the moog theremin synth and uh, I was just like messing around in the studio playing it and I had a microphone that was running through some guitar pedals and um, one of my co-writers for Bleach and If and When and Masquerade, I think those are the three songs he wrote with me. He came to visit me in the studio and I was just playing the the synth and he walked in the room and I was like, I'm so happy you're here. And I just kept saying things and like hearing then how cool it sounded. And I just like, kind of like wrote this weird thing on the fly and I loved it so much. And it felt to me like kind of the end of the fever dream and the like chaos of this record to then go into good at the end as the acoustic, um, one take song.
1: That's a one. So good as a one taker.
0: Good as a one taker. I wanted that one to be very old school. So we put everyone in different rooms of the studio and I have video, um, in each of the rooms that I'm about to edit together. Cause I wanted the actual recording to be captured, but it was one take.
1: It's a beautiful well, song. It's good. as one of those songs though, because I I finally like how long until she kicks? Fifty four seconds. You know nobody mm-hmm. has an attention span yeah. anymore. So you you gotta wait for that that juicy goodness to come in on the side. In fact, the first time I was listening, I was like, is is it over? Is this out? I was like, no. That I can still see that it's moving
0: yeah maybe only the real ones will get to good um <laughs> we uh when my mixer we actually didn't intend for it to have that long of an intro and then when my mixer was doing the uh mixes he um made that by running some of the synths through uh the Melotron and some of the other things we used through this like cool piece of gear that he had and it just felt to me like leaving that chaos at the end of If and When and kind of like entering into like a clear space. And that's why I, it's definitely one of the pieces that go with more of the concept part of the album than it just is a song you're just gonna put on and and jam to from the beginning. But um, I think that song and it's rawness is what makes it really special.
1: Well, it, it's it's an, I like I said, it's my favorite thing I've listened to in 2023. Um, uh, you should be really proud of this. This is this is great, and uh, I really appreciate that you're doing everything analog. I appreciate that you don't use auto tune and ruin your voice. Uh, yeah. I appreciate it has a point of view. I appreciate that it's you. Uh, I, I, I highly recommend, it. and I've been sending it to friends. Uh, And they've been really digging it. So uh, uh, congratulations, man. You should be really proud of this.
0: I am so proud of it. It, It's, it's been so much blood, sweat and tears and so much of me, I think more than a lot of artist projects become to people. And I thought that releasing it was going to be not like a negative thing for me mentally, but like, I, I definitely thought there was going to be a lot of stress and like, identity crisis almost by letting something go that i had spent so long on and i feel nothing but positivity about releasing it just seeing the response and seeing how people are feeling impacted by it and how many people are actually listening to me and like listening to it as an album because i didn't know like releasing something like this ambitious of a concept album like if it would really land as a brand new artist like if people would care to listen to it or if they just kind of pick songs out and I've really been overwhelmed by how many people are actually digesting it the way that I want it to be and and getting the journey that I intended them to have with it it's it's felt really special and nothing but positive like I just am happy that's great proud
1: I have a small I fa- I need you to come to Kansas City I want to see you do this live so
0: I I definitely will I think uh with this end of this year i don't think we're going to be touring much just because i have five videos i'm filming this next month (laughs) and then (laughs) i
1: saw you out in the woods with some band
0: Yep. um well i'm in post-production for four videos for the collection Here's the band i was out in the woods with so i'm editing four of their videos and then um editing my videos i'm editing lion's den sailor and in the dark and i'm about to shoot the last five for my series um and in addition to that we're finishing the recordings for the next seven songs that will come after this album so those are all ready to go and then our hope is to we're gonna have two of them out before the end of the year so new music is coming wow. soon and then the goal is to have all those seven done before christmas They'll come out one every six weeks until July. And then we have a very more ambitious concept album that we are about to begin writing that I've already laid out and been researching for, I think, a year. So we um, are entering into album two concept uh, concept album.
1: You make me Lots feel, going on. I feel like an enormous slacker. I feel like I don't know do <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, this is this is me coming out of the insanity of not being able to do enough during covid and and holding this record for so long. I think I mean a lot of people are like you're crazy for recording like the week you put an album out and I'm like for me I did that because I'm happy that this album has taken so long to come out because it's so trauma based that if I had put it out when I was making it I think I wouldn't have had as good of a perspective on why I made it and what all the songs meant, just because I was so in the middle of processing everything. Now I'm able to talk about it in a lot more eloquent and like a way that I understand the project more. So I'm happy it took a long time, but I don't want to be in like this place where I'm always years ahead of what I made, what I'm making and releasing. And so I wanted to get these new songs that I'm making that are, currently where i'm at in my life and the perspective i have on things out like at the same time and catch catch up to where i'm at in life so that is why we um have new music coming out so quick
1: that's great well i'm gonna i'm just gonna ask a few more questions i'm gonna let you go um so i i how do you know about this album cover of herb albert from the 1960s that you did your your guitar. And and I'm, I'm, you know, I've been playing guitar since 85. I, I'm super jealous that you got a free guitar. So let's talk about <laughs> that first.
0: <laughs> I love this guitar so much. Um,
1: Did you get a name just, yet?
0: There have been a lot of good suggestions. I, I need to play her and ask her about some of the suggestions that are at the top of the list, because I still, I don't know that I've like, read one and been like, yes, that's it. Like, I feel like I need to look at them while I'm playing it. Cause it's just, I I don't know why naming this guitar has been so difficult, but it has been. I think she's so fabulous though. I saw this guitar at NAMM and I, I play piano and I've always wanted to play guitar, but like, I had a Godin sponsorship and like, I have a couple of those and I, I love them, but like, I don't, play often and when I saw that guitar I was like I will play this guitar like every single day like this is my spirit guitar and I kept going back like for four days asking about endorsements and can I have this guitar and she was like they're not for sale like they're not in the U.S. yet and I just like kept going back and I was like no I need this guitar like trust me look I'll do a photo shoot for you like I'll I will do whatever it takes for you to you know agree and I finally got the guitar. And I the guitar company's name is Cream Guitar. And that I have the vinyl for the Herb Alpert with Cream and Other Delights at home. And the second I was thinking about the shoot I wanted to do for cream guitars, like that was the first thing that popped into my head of like, oh, I want to recreate this famous album cover. And I looked it up and I was shocked that nobody had ever recreated it for anything. And and so uh 16 cans of shaving cream later i was going to ask you
1: amazing. how many cans to cover you look like a lot
0: 16 cans covering some <laughs> batting um it was really fun
1: okay all right so before we go um your mom follows me now on instagram which i love i i love it when parents are into their kids uh and she made you <laughs> she a, hell a, a hell of a hell uh, of a I love the cake she made you for this, your, uh, what was it? Album release party. Your, your mom's pretty yes. cool, man.
0: Yeah, she is so cool. That cake was awesome. She like, I came up the morning before the party and she was like sewing this dress on this doll. That was like my dress from the cover. And I was like, this is so crazy mom. Like she's so cool. She, um, she does my set design and art department with me and costuming and, She's very heavily involved with everything and making sure I eat enough.
1: (laughs) Well, I saw she posted one thing. You were in a boot. Like Mm -hmm. you'd hurt your ankle and she apparently painted it purple so you could. Yeah. Moms. Yeah. As a parent, I can tell you, it doesn't matter how old your kids are. You're like, you always worry. So, you know, it comes from love. She's
0: the ultimate mom for sure. Like, I feel like she's very artistic in her own right? And she used to be a museum docent and like loves art so much. And so I feel like getting to do this stuff for me and, and fashion and stuff, like, so this has kind of been like the perfect job for her to fall into. And the fact that it's me is, is great. But now she's doing it for other artists too. She um works with me on all the music videos I direct, even when they're not for me. She just did the collections videos with me and Knocked those out of the park and she's about to be designing their tour costumes. So she's uh she's branching out. She's done, she did it dashboard confessional. She did the styling. She uh yeah, she's worked on a couple of videos with me. So that's uh it's fun to be able to work with family.
1: That's great. Well, like I said, congratulations. This is it's wonderful. Uh, I I really uh dig it a lot. Uh I think it's great. Um come to Kansas city sometime. Uh, you're always welcome. Whenever you're, I, I know you're busy. Whenever you have new music out, you, you always have an open welcome uh, to be back on the podcast. So I Absolutely.
0: appreciate it. I can't wait for you to hear the new music. It is like, it, I think it's always stressful when there's like the sophomore project. Like it's like, you don't want to have the sophomore slump. And that's been a stress for me, like to have something that I feel like is my little masterpiece and then to be like, Oh my God, what am I going to follow it up with? And being in the studio this past weekend, I'm, it just feels like a step up to me, like it's so much evolution. And I I just can't wait for people to hear the new music. It's very different.
1: That's great. And I I, I need to get back. Lots of friends in Nashville. Uh, yeah. my, friend, my friend, Billy Decker, who is an amazing engineer. We were buddies in college. My Tyson Leslie, I don't know if you know Tyson, who he plays keyboards currently for Vixen. He's from here. Uh, I, I have a million reasons to get back there. So, uh, when you know yeah. when, you have sh- when you have shows there, let me know because I, when I come in town, I, I'll have to coordinate so I get to see you play live. so.
0: Absolutely, I will.
1: All right, SJ, thank you so much for, for coming back. You. What's thank that? You.
0: Thank you. Thank you for right. having me back. You always give me great interviews. You always have thoughtful questions. Let me show you all of my secrets, all the stains of color.
1: Anastasia Elliott, again, the brand new album is out. La Petite Mort. Uh, check it out, it's great. I, I really hope you enjoy this. I had a ton of fun having her back on. Uh, she is, uh, you know, I've been doing this for four years. I'd I love everybody to talk to, but uh, she's, she's stupid good. So keep your eye out on her. Down in the show notes, links, links, links. You know I give you the links. I mean, God, it's so easy. You just sit there and listen. Then you just hit the click button. You're there. So uh, check her out. Buy some merch from her. Do something. I, You know, you got to support musicians if you want them to stick around. That's how it works. All right. Uh, I have so many bleeping uh, great episodes uh, already in the can that I, I'm coming back in just one week. So, uh, you know, Anastasia calls her fans the purple cult. Uh, one week from today I am back with the guys of the Purple Bee the Purple Bee is this really cool live uh, streaming recording studio you name it they can do it in, in Austin Texas my buddy Scott Rayling who I've known forever uh, even when I was in Austin many God three decades ago uh, he and I used to hang out then he's another fellow Nebraskan uh, he joined me with all of his crew and we talked all about it that is one week from today until then go out support live music. We'll talk real soon. Bye-bye.